invite you to grab it and turn to the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. I want to uh, warn you uh, that this is one of those texts that I, I would have rather skipped, um, as there have been some of those texts as we're going through the Gospel of John. Um, and I know probably some of you are like, bro, I brought a guest. Why are you going to do this? Um, uh, it'll be okay. You just have to come back next week. I, I would have rather stayed with 13 and 14, the first part of 15, because that's very encouraging. But uh, we got to deal with it just because... We believe in the Bible, all right, and everything that it says, and so we're just going to deal with it and pray I don't bomb this. John chapter 15, I hope I gave you enough time to get there, uh, verse 18. If you don't own a Bible, just come see me after the service. I'll be glad to get you one. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me if I had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also if I had not done among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my father but the word that is written in, the law, in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And we're going to feel a little relief here. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. Although I physically said it, this is your spoken word. Amen. And so many of us are looking for you to speak to us. And the good news is you just did. Amen. So, Lord, I pray that you would just draw our hearts and minds to you. Yes. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To set the scene of what's happening, this is the evening. This is a Thursday evening for the past few chapters this has been Jesus giving his final sermon to his disciples and this is the night before Jesus our Lord would be crucified and I love the message that Jesus has given thus far it started back in chapter 13 14 in the first part of chapter 15 the message has been incredible the message has been encouraging the message has been that of comfort for those who are kind of in a fearful and in an anxious situation. Jesus just told them, I'm leaving you, but he's giving them this beautiful picture of like, you don't have to worry, boys. You can be encouraged. Why can you be encouraged? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love that message. I love the message that he said thus far. I'm going to bring you joy. I'm going to bring you peace. I'm going to bring you my Holy Spirit. Incredible message. And not only that, but you're going to do greater things. Again, great message. Let's preach that all day long. 
Let's preach the message of encouragement. Let's preach the message of in your anxiety, in your fear, it's okay. You've got a Holy Spirit there with you to guide, to lead, to comfort you. Let's shout amen to the fact that God our Father brings us joy throughout our lives and despite our circumstances. Let's say amen to these things. And I say amen to these things. In fact, I would have rather ended that message in verse 17. Because now Jesus brings a contrast from love that we all love to say amen to. We want to say amen to the things that Jesus has said thus far. But then Jesus brings the Debbie Downer news. By the way, you're going to be hated. And by the way, you're going to be persecuted. I would have loved to omit this part from Scripture because no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear because of your faith in Jesus that the world is going to hate you. No one wants to preach that sermon. That's not going to build the crowds. That's not going to cause church attendance to uh, go into new, higher uh, dimensions. I mean, that's, that's crazy. No one's going to want to preach that. That because of your love for Jesus, because of your faith in Christ, the world hates you. And out of their head, they will persecute you. Now, I, here's what I understand. We live in America, and we live in a culture that probably isn't really accustomed to this type of language. The, the world is going to persecute me? By persecution, we think that what that means is that somebody's going to say something bad to you on your social media. <laughs> oh, they said something bad and gave me a negative comment. They gave me the angry emoji that you can select on Facebook because of what I said about Jesus. And we think that's persecution. I don't want to belittle some of you because probably some of you have experienced some level of persecution or hatred because of your faith in Christ. But let's be straight. And let, I'll tell you what, let me do this this way. Let me give you a brief history lesson Church History 101. I know some of you probably didn't come here to get a lecture, but you're here now. You'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> so out of, out of all of this, Jesus does, uh, does good on his promise. He says, hey, I'm sending my Holy Spirit, and guess what? You flip the pages in Acts, and in Acts chapter 2, what happens? Holy Spirit comes, and the church is born. And this is incredible because we get a glimpse that we love to preach about the church. People are added to the church. In fact, the very first sermon that Peter gives, 3,000 people come to Christ and are added to the church. And we just get a couple of chapters where we see a beautiful identity of the church happening. And it doesn't take long to veer off of that where Jesus is also going to make good on his promise. Here comes the persecution. So Jesus has really given them a prophecy of what is to come. By chapter 5, just a couple of chapters into this beautiful, creative story of the church, we get persecution. These boys are now imprisoned, and in just a couple chapters later, our boy Stephen, young guy, just preaching the truth. I mean, he, he going from history of Old Testament all the way up to the New Testament here, talking about the resurrection of Christ, and the Jews hated it. In fact, the Bible says that they just, they ground their teeth, and they drove him out of the city, and they picked up rocks, and they pelted him. And as they were pelting him with rocks, P, uh, whatever his name is, Stephen looked up to the heavens, and he said, hey, don't, don't judge them because of this, God. 
I see the Father, and the, at the right hand, there's Jesus. And we get the first murderer. It doesn't take long for this to what Jesus says to become a reality for the apostles. Saul, the one who is causing a lot of this mess, he gets converted to Christianity. And it doesn't take long for him to feel the wrath of the Jews, and he becomes persecuted. In fact, I would suggest all of, the, all of the apostles, except for one, was martyred. You get this, the guy who we're reading about, John, one who wrote this gospel, escapes the tyranny of a wicked, wicked emperor and is shipwrecked on the Isle of Patmos. And there he dies. And this persecution does not end with just these apostles. In fact, wicked emperor after wicked emperor, the persecution steps up a greater level each time, crucifies these Christians, because now it's no longer Jews that hate the Christians because of they think that this is heresy that they're teaching. Now, the Rome, like Rome hates them. So now they're bringing out the swords against the Christians. They throw them to lions. They crucify them. They beat them. They throw them and burn them at a stake with fire. And this does not let up until probably the mid-300s when Constantine becomes the ruler. Now, something happens. There's a shift because then Rome adopts Christianity. But there's a problem. Somewhere along the way, the Roman Catholic Church takes this thing over. And if you really understand your church history, then they become the ones who are persecuting and killing these Protestant Christians. Probably didn't know that. But millions upon millions of these Protestant Christians are being slain, are being murdered. And if you think this is something that's a part of the past, then you probably need to open up your eyes because over the last 30 years, we have seen more persecution in our modern time than we ever have. They would suggest hundreds of thousands of Christians have been murdered around the world in just the last 30 years. One research would suggest that 11 Christians are murdered every single day. If you watched the news just a couple of years ago in Sri Lanka, you saw that where these, um, these Muslims, they, they bombed these temples and these, these churches and over 250 Christians in just one day and one moment were killed. If you, if you watch the news, like I do, which I probably shouldn't, Recently, there's a Chinese pastor who is now in prison. So let's just take off this layer of our Christianity and our thinking of a persecution. Again, I don't want to belittle because some of you probably have been experiencing some level of persecution, but a gun probably isn't being held to your head. Uh, terrorists probably aren't putting a bag on your head and lining you up with other believers and beheading you with a sword. That's probably not your reality, but the reality of it is, is that's happening today, right now. So we read scriptures like this, we're like, what? Persecution's going to come my way? Friends, it's easy for us to think that because we live in this culture where we're not being beheaded because of our faith. 
We're not being beheaded because of these things or having a gun pointed to our head because of our uh, profession to Christ. But it's happening right now. And it's happening all over the place. And this is, this is crazy because I would have loved to omit this part, but Jesus is an incredible recruiter, okay? Now, you either have a good recruiter or a bad recruiter. A good recruiter is going to tell you all the good things, but he's also going to tell you all the bad things. Like, if you think of a bad recruiter, um, like probably some of you may have had, like if you, and I'm not picking on, maybe an army recruiter. Hey, we're going to uh, pay for college. Hey, we're going to give you a good salary. That's it. <laughs> Let's suggest that's a bad recruiter because a good recruiter is going to be like, oh, by the way, you got boot camp. Oh, and by the way, you may get thrown into war. Bad recruiter. Hey, I've got a job lined up for you. You're going to make six figures. Bad recruiter is going to not tell you that the company is going down and all the people you work with are just a bunch of morons. Bad recruiter. Jesus is a good recruiter because he's telling him all the good things, and he's also saying, hey, by the way, since they hated me, they're going to hate you, and you're going to be persecuted. I think that we have some terrible recruiters in the church. They want to tell you, hey, if you sign up today on this sheet and you give your life to Christ, everything is going to be beautiful. And the angels of the Lord are going to sing over you and the Shekinah glory is going to rush you into this heavenly realm and you will experience wealth and health and all things will be beautiful for you. Let's, let's say this bad recruiter thank you Willie <laughs> because the reality of it is if you are a follower of Christ you will be hated and out of the hatred you will experience some level of persecution this is a slap, really, into our American ideas of Christianity. We want to be loved. We, we want everybody to feel like they belong. We want everybody just to love us, and we want to love everybody. We just want to be so happy, and we want to sing around a campfire, not knowing that our message is so offensive to the culture. Out of that message, they'll hate us. Here's what I would suggest, because I got, a, I got a few problems with this text that I'm still working through. It seems like that this suggestion is, and again, this is, this is me, okay? It seems like that this suggestion is, is that if you're not being persecuted, if you're not being hated, then you may not be doing something right. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not sure that's my, my conclusion yet, but I, I'm leaning towards that. Because if you think that persecution isn't this idea of Christianity, then go to Iran and tell them you're a Christian. And then, then go to China and start a church. And here's what I would say. That if we are more faithful to God and to the word of God, there perhaps would be more hatred towards you. Now, here's what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting for us to all become the Westboro Baptist Church in Texas. Nobody likes them. In fact, we would like to ship them off to Iran. All right, just saying, all right, maybe that's evil of me. Just pray for me. I'm being sanctified into the image of God every day. 
I'm not suggesting that we spew hatred. I'm not suggesting that we start some type of revolution with our fists shaking in culture's face and saying, you bunch of losers. Not suggesting that at all. Not suggesting that we pick a fight with our neighbors, pick a fight with those who don't believe like we do. For chapters 13, 14, and 15, this has been a, a message, and this is what Jesus offers to us. Peace, a heavenly place. Abide with me, I will abide with you. I'll give you joy, I'll give you love, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and I'll make all these heavenly promises. And so now look what the world gives you in relation to what Jesus gives you. Hatred, persecution. So what does it mean to be hated? And why all the hate? And here's what I, would, I think what's happening here. Because Jesus exposed the sin of these people, because Jesus exposes this sin and he gives a better way to life, the world couldn't take it. And the world hated him because it. So here's how I would suggest three keys for you to be hated. <laughs> I just made it up. Because you know, you come to church and you're like, three ways to experience God's love. Three ways to experience his grace. Here's three ways you could experience hate in culture. Preach judgment. Preach sin. Preach hell. <laughs> you want to be hated? I mean, look at the Look at the messages of Peter in his first sermon. You are the fools that crucified him. Stephen, Stephen's telling him, look, you guys are the problem. Three keys to get hated in life. Dude, I should like write a book on that. That's incredible. You know what I'm saying? Like no one will buy it. <laughs> Step up your level of hatred in the world. But the reality of it is is that if you're not experiencing hatred there may be something that's not right again this is this is one of those things that I'm still wrestling through and I'm still trying to think through like am I not a Christian you know what I'm saying like I, I mean everybody likes me I think Lisa says what did y'all tell me I don't think anybody hates me I think I'm a likable guy you may differ with that. I think if you differ with that, you wouldn't be here, but I think I'm pretty lovable. I may have a stank face sometimes, but it's just permanent, all right? It doesn't mean anything by it offensively. Just sometimes my brows are up, and I look at you like you're a piece of something, and I'm, I don't mean anything by it. I like people. Sometimes my face may not show it. And I think people like me. So I think I'm not hated. So what's wrong? I, I really don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure this thing out. If you don't feel the hate of the world, preach. Preach. Preach sin. Preach judgment. Preach hell. And preach grace. And preach the love of Jesus Christ. Here's what's happening here. Jesus' way of life is so counterculture. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he says, you are self-righteous. And the self-righteous is so anti-Christ. It's what gets Jesus killed because he's preaching 
the truth. Now, I don't want to start listing out sins here, but if you want to be hated, start preaching against the ways of culture and start preaching the ways of Scripture. Start preaching. Hey, pride is antichrist. Self-righteousness, that's antichrist. Fornication, that's antichrist. You wanting to define your own identity when Christ has already done it, that's antichrist. You wanting to define how marriage works, that's antichrist because the Bible's already defined it. You wanting to say it's your choice, you do whatever you want to do, boo, that message is so antichrist. Oh, well, it's just inconvenient, so I think I'll abort the baby. That's murder, and it's anti-Christ. Do, do you want to be hated in the world? You preach that, and somebody's going to label you as a bigot and a hater. And let's be straight, it's already happening. But I would suggest don't stop there, because then you would look like Westboro. You preach the love of Christ, yet despite who you really are outside of Christ. When you abide with him, he will abide with you. And that message is so counterculture. Because culture wants you to say, hey, figure it out your own self. There's many ways to Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, you abide with me. And I'll abide with you. So yeah, we preach this, but hear me, friends. We preach the reality that despite of who you are outside of Christ, he wants to abide with you. There's our hope in that. Like, I'm not going to start all my sermons off by saying, here's a list of this week's sins, because I've been watching your Facebook. <laughs> Number one. Boys, stop staring at girls. You have no business staring at them. Number two. No, I, just, I don't know. Uh, I, so don't worry. I'm not going there, okay? I'm not going to be the angry preacher. Although that feels cool sometimes. It's really just convicting for me. Here's what's so convicting, because as I read this scripture, I think about all of our history as a church that the church was built on blood. It was built on men and women proclaiming the gospel and being martyred for it. You are sitting here in this room as a result of someone who was taken and killed because of their faith of Christ. So when I read this, that's heavy, man. What does this apply? Like, what, what do I do in this? When I read this, like, the first question that came to my mind was, am I living a life as a closet Christian? Am I just living my life as, like, some secret Christian? That I'll just hide my faith, and I'll just, I'll just chill out in my, my proverbial closet. You know, because for years, the church said, well, just go pray in your prayer closet. 
Anybody ever find that scripture where you're supposed to do that? I couldn't. So we've kind of interpreted that. Well, I'll just live my, my Christian life just to myself. And so I read this and I'm thinking, man, am I living my life as a closet Christian? Is that the reason why I'm so loved? Is that the reason why I'm not being persecuted? I don't want to be persecuted. Who does? I don't want to be hated. Verse 27 says, you will bear witness. Bear witness about what? Jesus. There's a call on us to proclaim this message of Christ. That without Christ, you are dead in your sins. You are in darkness. And in order to get into the light, you need someone. And that someone's already made a way. Another question <laughs> I had when I was reading this is like, how will I even, how do we even get there? How do we accomplish anything if we're going to be hated, we're going to be persecuted, and even if we're not, like, am I doing something wrong? Like, what's, what's going on? How will we abide? How are you going to get through any of this? I love how he just throws in this breath of fresh air. But I'll give you the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit I love how he identifies him as the spirit of truth when you're wavering spirit of truth comes in and tells you what you need to hear when you're, when you're wondering about your identity in Christ the spirit of truth comes in and he reminds you you belong to me you're mine you abide in me, I in you. I love you, and nothing will separate you from me. That's the spirit of truth. Despite all of these things, because I want to bring you back to verse 17. I didn't read it, but look at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Like, despite all these things, and it's more of like a pre-message almost. Abide in Jesus, love one another, and the world's going to hate you. And you love each other. What is this picture that Jesus is giving? It's a picture of unity. It's a picture of you guys have to stick with each other. You guys will die without each other. You need each other. That's what this is. Hey, abide in me. Love one another because there's something coming for you. This is a beautiful picture. Again, I want to say this is Jesus giving a vision for his church. Despite what trauma you're going to face, you need each other. Stick with each other. Love each other. You won't make it without each other. You need each other. Other, this is a beautiful picture of unity. Let me let me talk about that for a second in, in context of our church. When we planted refuge almost ten years ago, which is crazy, makes me feel really old. Makes you feel real old. When when refuge was started, we we had this idea that we we're going to start this church. Jesus is first. 
We have these essentials in our beliefs. And then there are non-essentials. And in these non-essentials, we have unity. And we started that church, and yeah, it's been ugly sometimes because of that. But it's been beautiful because we've been able to flourish with people from all walks of Christian life. Amen. Some Methodist, some Baptist, some Pentecostal, some, uh, I would say Episcopal, I'm not sure if they're Christian, just kidding. Um, uh, some from, that was a joke, okay. uh, some from uh, just all these different denominations coming together, and it's been so beautiful to see this. How have you been able to see this? Because we have unity on the essentials. Jesus is God. The word of God is true. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. Like we've been able, we've been really good at that. This is why it's so important that we have each other. We have the church. Again, a beautiful picture and vision of the church Jesus gives us. You got to have each other. You need each other to survive. This is why I love gathering with you on Sundays. It's not that it makes us more spiritual or anything like that. It's just, it's an incredible view. You need each other. You won't do well doing life by yourself. There's just something powerful when we get together and we in unison proclaim the goodness of God and the power of his salvation. I want you to see this because if you're wondering, like, where's the hope in all of this? Because when you're being hated on, it doesn't matter. You've got joy because Christ abides in you. If you're being lied about, it doesn't matter. You've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth reminding you of who you are. If you're being hated on by family, hated on by your neighbors, hated on by people at work, it's okay because Christ loves you. And nothing can separate you from his love. If you're going through trials and persecution, it's okay because now you're being more conformed into the image of God. If you're going through trauma, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, it's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's Paul shipwrecked, been bit by a snake, been all these things, like just been cast out of town. And he said, that's okay, because there's an eternal weight of glory that's awaiting for me that will far outweigh any trauma I experience on this earth. Amen. And if you're not abiding in Jesus, because really that's all this is about, abiding in Jesus. And if you're not abiding in Jesus, this hear the good news of the gospel. Because there's an on-ramp for you here. That despite whatever you've come in here, despite whatever sin you've brought in here with yourself, despite whatever your past looks like, there's a call and an on-ramp for you to abide in Christ. There's a call of repentance for you. That Christ made a way for you. And if you, you, you abide in this Christ, no longer are you viewed a slave to sin. No longer are you viewed dead in your sins. Now, friends, the Father looks at you as the righteous. The Father looks at you. And here's what Jesus says in, in, in previous chapter, that I'm going to call you now my friends. 
No longer are you our enemy. No longer are you ready to receive the wrath of God. Now Jesus and the Father looks at you as the righteous ones. And that's the good news. Because despite how bad of a person you think you are, Christ loves you. And Christ wants you to abide in him and he in you. We're going to receive communion.